0: Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, What I really wanted to concentrate on was the end of that verse. For dust you are, until dust you shall return. Now, I know that doesn't sound like an encouraging scripture right off the bat, um, but I find it to be encouraging. Before we uh, continue this morning, I'm going to need your permission uh, to go to school. Y'all ready to go to school? Can we go to school this morning? singing caps on. For those of you that have small children, I'll give you a couple extra minutes to get your mind right. Um, We're going to, uh, if you allow me, I just want to bring up a couple of things that sound more complicated than they actually are, but I'm believing you guys to be able to, to fully understand and fully receive it. Don't, if I start using decimal points and constants and things like that, don't freak out. You don't have to memorize anything. You don't have to do any actual math in your seat. You can if you want. Uh, but really, you just have to follow me and remember a couple of things that we're talking about this morning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 says, For dust you are, until uh, unto dust you shall return. There's a very unique thing that happens in God's Word. It's really difficult to try to figure out where where to start this uh, lesson this morning. Let me just say, let, let's start off by making a few um, a few uh, analogies, I guess, if you will. We know that God is the creator of the universe, yes? Okay, so anything that we discover in the universe, in particular this morning, we're going to be doing a little bit of Bible math. I know we've, we, we do that from time to time. I think this morning um, you will see something and learn something new for the very first time that I think is mind-blowing in God's Word. When you consider the facts, and there's some facts we need to consider, Uh, We're getting a couple of scriptures out of the book of Genesis, so consider the fact this is thousands and thousands of years old. Yeah? Consider the fact that when it comes to mathematics, uh, the number zero wasn't even discovered until the 8th century. So we're talking about going way back in the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 before mathematics was anything like it is now, when Moses was writing in the book of Genesis. We're going to fast forward and see some things in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we've come through the Greeks and the Romans to a degree, so things have been advanced. However, we're going to, we're going to find some things that were, weren't really discovered until the 1600s. And the Gospel of John, we're looking at pre-100 AD. So um, to see some of the things that we're going to see, I, first of all, I just want you to realize how long ago we're talking about and how long these scriptures have been around. God is the creator of the universe. He created things in what we would call geometrical forms, yes? Right? Uh, that just means shapes, really. So we see like squares, rectangles, circles, things of that nature. We have labeled those things as, uh words and so that we can define them. But we didn't create those things, right? God created those things. Uh, we know now through modern science that when we when we kind of pan out and look at the universe as a whole... It seems like one of God's favorite shapes is a circle. Why do I say that? Well, God said in his own scripture that he is a God that understands the end from the beginning. He said in Ecclesiastes, what has been shall be. He also said through Solomon in Ecclesiastes, there's new, no, no new thing under the sun. Everything is just part of a circuit. He uses the wind as an example. He uses the water as an example. We understand, of course, the water cycle and how everything's a repeat of a repeat Uh, We even say in the secular world that history repeats itself, yes? We say that what goes around comes around. In the Bible it says you reap what you sow. Um, The the seed uh, for the plant is found within the the plant itself. An apple tree grows up. Where's Louis? An apple tree. And the seed is inside the apples, and then when the seed falls into the ground, it produces more apple trees. We're not going to get into that because you're going to want to run and hide (laughs) if you see the magnitude to which that happens. That Johnny Appleseed was a terrorist and nobody knew it was going on. When you see that at the end of the day, you had to be here. If that sounds extreme to you, I'll let Louie tell you about it later. Um, anyway, uh, that being said, uh, when we look at what, what shape is most appropriate to define God, we know that God is eternal, yes? We know that God has no beginning and no end that is definable. So if we were going to choose a shape out of all the shapes in the world to define God, what would be the best shape? What would be most appropriate? be a circle, right? When he created, the earth is is in a circular shape. The earth rotates on its axis in a circle. It it orbits around the sun in a circle, and the moon orbits around the earth, and planets follow these elliptical circular patterns. The universe itself seems to be set up in the same manner. So when God creates uh, things that are eternal in nature, uh, it seems like a circle is the best representation, because when you draw a perfect circle or you see one, you can't tell where it started and where it ended, right? So it has an eternal property to it. All other shapes have edges and corners and things of that nature. Um, Now, when you're when we're talking about man, man, according to Genesis chapter three, verse 19, started in dust and ends in dust. So when you're talking about the lifespan of a human being, uh, you're talking about a lifeline. Yes. What is the what is the shape that would that would most aptly describe man if we're looking at something symbolically to reference? A line? Right. Just like a timeline, a chronological timeline, it has a defined beginning and a defined end. Yes? Alright, those two things being said, I want to go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 just simply says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now if you've been around um, Edgewater Church for any length of time, then you've seen us dive into Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and you've seen the enormity of what actually exists inside of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. I want to throw a few more things at you real quick. This is all we've learned so far. God is a circle and man is a line. See, it's easy. This is the easiest geometry class you've ever had. Two things. Now, we go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. You're going to read approximately 10 words, depending on the translation that you have as to the very first verse of the Bible. But that first verse of the Bible was actually not written in English, but was written in Hebrew. And we're going we're to do, um, do a participation thing this morning. It was written in... Hebrew. Boom. All right. Very good. So in Hebrew, when you go back to the Hebrew, that, that verse actually has seven words in it. Exactly seven words. Now we've gone on uh, through a plethora of information about what that represents In a nutshell, seven is God's number of perfect completion. So the very first verse of the Bible to say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What that really means, numerically speaking, is that that should be enough. That is really the entirety of God's word. In the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. That being true, that should mean naturally Everything is his. We owe him everything. He deserves to be worshiped. He deserves to be in front. He deserves to be on the throne. He deserves reverence. He deserves all things. Now, he's good enough that he added, you know, approximately 30,000 more scriptures to his word before he was done in order to explain to us about how he feels about us, how we should feel about him. Sometimes, like Old Testament style rules and regulations about how to approach him, New Testament style, he said, I'm going to give you my only begotten son because you were like ridiculously bad at these rules and regulations. So I'm going to let him be sacrificed. And by his blood, there's no more rules and regulations. Just love your neighbor and love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, strength and soul. Do those two things. And through the blood of my son, you can approach me On all, all he had to say the whole time was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's what your parents mean when they say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Right. That mom book of mom, verse one, chapter one, mom created you in the beginning. Mom and dad created you. That means we'll that means you owe us everything. We'll take you out. Yeah. If you win the lottery, you you owe us some of that because we brought you into this world like they shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to write all of these little details out. It should just be in the beginning. Mom and dad created son and daughter. That should be it. Okay, that's what he means in Genesis chapter one, verse one. Now, it's, it's awesome that it's uh, exactly seven words in Hebrew, and that's going to come into play here in a moment. Um, for now, I just want you to see that God is a circle, man is a line. God is a circle, man is a line. In the Hebrew language, there are exactly 22 letters. I know this is a review for a lot of us, but I want to review a, a couple things. 22 letters. Why is that important? Because in the beginning, God said, right? Amen? In the beginning, God said... Do we need to do a seventh-inning stretch already? In the beginning, God said... "Yes." Yes? That means that he spoke everything into existence. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So if he spoke everything into existence, then he had to use words to speak those things into existence. If he had words, he had to have letters. The letters that he ordained to use are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet as delivered unto Moses when he gave him the revelation. The Hebrew alphabet has exactly 22 letters in it. That is no coincidence. God doesn't deal in coincidences, nor is he, does he deal in the dubious or the arbitrary or the trivial or anything of that nature. Everything that God does, he does with reason and he does with organization. So it's not a coincidence that he spoke everything into existence using exactly 22 letters. The whole purpose of him speaking these things into existence was to create you and I in his image And when you look at the human genome, there are exactly 22 amino acids that make up the genetic DNA of you and I. Amino acids being the building blocks of protein, which create tissue, which create organs, which create you and me, right? 22. Okay, that is not a coincidence that that equals the number of Hebrew letters. Here is something else. If you've already known all of this, this is going to be new. Man is a line. God is a circle. When you put a line inside of a circle, what is that if it goes end to end? It's the diameter. Now I would say when we're building this picture, this word picture, we need to place it from end to end because God is our beginning and God is our end. We are connected to that circle because our bodies were born and our bodies will die, but our soul and our spirit will go on forever. So while we are linear, we are connected to eternity. Amen? Okay, when God created us out of the dust of the earth, he breathed into us a living soul. This is is probably going to mess your theology up a little bit, but... If he breathed into us a living soul, how old is the breath of God? It's eternal, right? So while we are linear in our bodily form, there's something inside of us that has no beginning and no end. right? And we are connected to that circle that is around us. Now, mathematicians can't figure out why. And they also can't figure out why they can't figure out why that when you take the ratio of a diameter, which is the measurement of the line, to the circumference of the circle, which is the measurement of the eternal circle, when you take that ratio and you put it together, it equals a number that we call pi. 3.14... Okay, yeah, until you can't... they've. It goes out to over a trillion decimal points at the moment. They're, they're always calculating it further and further and further. Okay, first of all mathematicians and scientists can't explain why that happens. And they can't explain why this decimal point never ends. They cannot explain why the diameter, the ratio of a diameter to the circumference of a circle is an infinite number. That's pretty amazing in and of itself. What's even more amazing is that every Hebrew letter, of which there are 22, has its own specific numerical value, And every Hebrew word has its own specific numerical value. What I'm going to share with you is true information that has been published by two separate doctors as late as back in 2001 has been studied all the way up to the present. Ted, if you put the first slide. If you examine the numerical values of each of the Hebrew letters, the numerical value of the words, and apply them to this formula the number of letters times the product of the letters over the number of the words times the product of the words, you get 3.1416 times 10 to the 17th, which is pi. So, the inexplicable, irrational constant that we call pi exists in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That could have been any number. But it was that number. You know what's even crazier about that number? When trying to calculate or represent that number, there's only one fraction that really works. You want to guess what that fraction is? 22 over 7. Coincidence? I don't think so. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, in the beginning when he created his Hebrew alphabet, in the beginning when he gave that revelation to Moses... He made a statement in Genesis chapter one, verse one, that your linear, limited, numbered life is infinite next to the ratio of the measurement of eternity. He put that in Genesis chapter one, verse one, and so far, nobody's been able to explain how that even exists. That's pretty amazing. He did it using 22 letters and seven words. That is also amazing because 22 over 7 is the best representation of that. Now, to to continue to move forward before we get into the scriptures for today, I want to take you to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 is the New Testament rendition Do not put that, don't put that up there, Ted. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 1 is the New Testament rendition of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It is the repeat in the New Testament. So we get John 1.1 1, 1 on the board. John 1, one says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this is John explaining Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, the Word wrapped in flesh is who? Don't be afraid. The Word wrapped in flesh is who? So in 1 John five seven, when it says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The Word represents who? Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word. Everybody say Jesus. Don't be afraid. The Word was with God. Everybody say Jesus. And the Word was God. Everybody say Jesus. Okay, this is not what we're talking about today, but I just want to use this as an example. Jesus Christ is God. If you don't believe that, you can go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I get dyslexic with this one. It's either 6 and 9 or 9 and 6. Where it says, unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. His name shall be called Mighty and Prince of Peace and Counselor, all these things. Two things that it says. His name shall be called the Almighty God. His name shall be called the Everlasting Father. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, there is one name given to men under heaven by which we can be saved. And that is only the name of Jesus Christ. So whenever you're approaching God, you approach God through the name that is given, which is the name Jesus. Amen. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. That's a separate message uh, for another place in time, but I just want to point that out. So when John is explaining Genesis chapter one, verse one, I want to talk to you about another mathematical constant that comes up. It is the base of the natural logarithm. You don't have to know what that means. Basically, it is another version of pi, but it is used to compound interest and it's used in engineering and it's used in advanced mathematics. It's called Euler's number and it's represented by an E and it is two point one seven, something, 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 something. And it goes also just like the number pi. It goes out to over a trillion decimal points that they know of right now. It is another number they cannot explain why it exists, and they cannot explain why it never ends. So if Genesis 1:1 seems like a coincidence to you, now you can put that slide up there. John chapter one verse 1. If you take the number of letters now remember this is in Greek because it's the New Testament, the number of letters times the product of the letters in Greek over the number of words times the product of the words in Greek, you come out with 2.7183 times 10 to the 40th, or the value of E. It is another constant, and it's used to compound interest. In other words, it is used to show a an exponential growth in value. That's pretty amazing. So in Genesis 1-1, you have the ratio of, from dust to dust, a linear lifespan, something that has a beginning and an end, to something that is eternal, being an infinite number that we call pi. And in John 1-1, you have, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, showing an infinite value of growth and compound interest, if you will. The real coincidence, if you will, is that both of those verses, which both talk about in the beginning, which both reference God and how He created the universe, are infinite and constant. Everybody say constant. Okay, that's just a little nugget before we get into the Scriptures. Hebrews chapter 13... Verses number five and six. Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. Everybody say the Lord Lord is my helper helper. and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now let me read that again with a little bit of emphasis. Let your conversation be without covetousness. What does that mean? That means that we are conglomerately called the body of Christ. Amen. Me and you and you and me and your neighbor and the person next to you and the church down the street and the church in the next town and the church in another state and the church across America and the church across the world, we conglomerately are the body of Christ, right? Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and focus on the local church. In fact, Let's focus on our church right here at Edgewater. Let your conversation be without covetousness. In other words, what he is saying is be careful about what you do and what you say. Now, last week we learned the power of words. Amen. That a word fitly spoken. Are you alive this morning? That a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. You remember what that means? The gold was the earth, the silver was the universe, according to the book of Proverbs. So when a word fitly spoken is spoken, it is able to bring heaven and earth together. Amen? And the Bible says also in the book of Proverbs that life and death, everybody say life, life. and death, Amen. is in the power of the tongue. If life and death is in the power of the tongue, we should be very cognizant about the things that escape out of our mouths. Amen? Amen? The power of what you say. So he says here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse five, let your conversation be without covetousness, without wantonness, without worry. In other words, don't let your conversations be about what you don't have and you really wish that you want. Let your conversations be about what you are content with. And if you don't know what to be content with, he clears that up in the next scripture. Or I'm sorry, just the next portion of this scripture. Be content with such things as you have. Amen. Amen. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let me let me paint this picture for you real quick. You don't have the house that you wish that you had. You don't have the money in your bank account that you wish that you had. You don't have the vehicle or vehicles that you wish that you had. You haven't run into that promise that God made to you once upon a time. You don't have the fairy tale relationship that you wish that you had. Your kids aren't doing the things that you want them to do. You're finding things to complain about at your job. You're finding things to complain about at your church. God says, can you take a step back for just a moment I mean, I went through the trouble of placing pi and the constant of E in Genesis 1, 1 and John chapter 1, verse 1. I did that just for fun and to show my glory. And I want you to take a step back for just a moment and realize that I am a constant God. I am a constant gardener. I am always at work and you don't have to covet. You can just be content with the fact that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because the man at the top of the mountain that lives in the big mansion might not know God. And his house will be fun for like 70 years if he's lucky. But on his deathbed, and then one day beyond that, what good did that house do? What good did that fancy car do? What good did that paid for relationship or that perfect thing or whatever it was that he had? What good did that do him when he didn't know God? When he never had a moment's peace in his heart of understanding that the creator of the universe has declared unto him and his family, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm sorry. I thought this, this is on, right? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's hard not to get excited about that. Listen, let me tell you guys a secret. It's hard to tell from where you're at, from your seat. Oh, man, there's people in the restaurant wanting to go to the restroom, too. It's getting awkward. Sorry. That, that is hard for you to see, ironically, but that's not what I was talking about. Um, but I'm getting real excited about his word, but I'm standing up here all by myself. So I need a little bit of help this morning. Alright, preaching is a not a spectator sport. It's a participator sport. Right? So anytime, whether it's Edgewater or somewhere else, if you're listening to somebody expound upon God's word, secret number two, we don't know it all. Most of the time we don't even know what we're about to talk about. And while we are talking, we don't know what we're talking about. But we're doing our best because we assume you love God, and I know I love God. So if we all love God together, let's all participate in this thing together. His word's exciting. Amen? Amen. Alright. God is good. So he's saying be content with such things you have for he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse number six, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. What does that mean? That means when the, your neighbor, uh, when the world around you, when when people walk up to you and say, well, you serve God, you're a Christian and God is so good. Why don't you have those things that you want? God is so good, where's your big house? God is so good, why are you in debt? God is so good, why this, why that? Why not this, why not that? You have the ability to boldly turn around, look him in the face and say, listen. God is my helper. God is my helper. You have those beautiful things that mean so much to you, I'm so happy for you. I know this is going to sound gloomy but tomorrow when you get that phone call tomorrow when you realize that your spouse or your brother or your sister or somebody that's close to you has cancer will you be able to cure them with that big house will they get set free by your ferrari not trying to be funny yeah i might not have all the things that you have Maybe I don't even have all the things that you think somebody that serves God should have. But I have this, God is my helper. Amen. So tomorrow when I get that phone call, I'm not saying they're going to get healed miraculously over the phone. I'm not saying they're going to get healed miraculously at all. But I am saying this, God will never leave me nor forsake me. Amen. And if they Will if they haven't accept him into their hearts. He will never leave them nor forsake them either. I'll tell you another secret. Every single person. That God has ever healed. Every single person that Jesus Christ laid hands on and healed. Every one of them has died. So I'm. Extremely glad. When God shows up and heals a person. That is to show his glory. That is, in some cases, to extend a life because of a calling. That is, in some cases, because somebody's standing in the gap. I don't know. We're not there to see why things happen all the time. But I can tell you this. Healed or not healed, they're going to glory one day. And I hope they have this testimony that despite the size of my house, despite the speed of my car, despite the color of my clothes, despite my place in life, I am content understanding this. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And God is my helper. So do unto me what you will. Persecute me. Make fun of me to my face. Make fun of me behind my back. Tell stories that aren't true. I don't care what you do. God is my helper. And I'm going to do my best to love you. And if that love can show you that God can be your helper too, then God bless us all. Amen. Because none of those other things will save you. And none of those other things will be there the day after. Let's move on to... Romans chapter 12, verse number two. And says, Romans chapter 12, verse number two, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. By the way, there is a comma between perfect and will of God. Again, we're not talking about that this morning. But for those that preach there is a perfect will of God and a permissible will of God, I would argue that's not exactly true. There's just a the will of God and there's our ability to perform it. Maybe some perform it better than others. The will of God, because of that comma, is defined as perfect. It's not defined as permissible ever. It's just his will. And if we did it all the way to the nth degree, and even if we don't, guess what? His will is still perfect. And it is acceptable, and it is good, and we can prove it by the renewing of our minds. If we are transformed and not conformed. See what I did there? Just read the scripture backwards. It's a good idea to do that, because God knows the end from the beginning. Give you a different. Anyway, so according to Romans chapter 12 verse 2, um, and this is not this is not a stretch because there are plenty of other scriptures, but I literally want to want to try to to cut it a little bit short this morning. Not only is God constant, our worship band can go ahead and come up. Not only is God constant, but God is constantly at work. God is constantly at work. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 begs you, do not be conformed to this world. Don't ever be conformed to this world. Because when you start to conform to this world, you you start to take a step backwards. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Do you have the ability to renew your own mind? Do you have the ability to renew your own mind? Well... Human beings think they can, and I want to go back to that tongue and that interpretation that we had this morning because sometimes we fail to see that we have already been made in the likeness and the image of God who is the constant gardener and is constantly at work. And instead of working after His image, which we are made in, we start to make Him after our own image. And the way that we do that is through self help books and therapies and gurus and different ways that we have figured out how to help ourselves. We have tapes, we have classes, we have books, we have all of these things, and I believe God is looking down from heaven saying, I'm so glad and I'm so happy that you have at least accepted the idea that you need help. But let me tell you a little secret. It is very, very, very difficult to help yourself. But here is another secret and the answer to the solution to that problem. You do not have to help yourself because I am constantly at work. I am the ratio of you to me. I am a constant number that always increases in value. You need to you need to own your self-worth. What you need is not a self-help book. You need a nail-scarred hand because God will reach down from heaven. His arm will always be outstretched. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Bible says, says he is never far from any one of us. He is the constant gardener. Amen. Amen. He made you out of the dust of a garden. He brought you into that perfect place called Eden. And because of that, we are symbolic of a garden and you are his handiwork. And he is never done. He says, I am the vine and you are the fruit. And he is always willing to dress his fruit. He was always willing to perfect his work. He is the constant gardener and he never takes a day off. You don't know anybody like that. You don't know anybody like that. What you're going to see here later on tonight is the final football game of the year. And this football game happens to be a rare occasion where the number one offense literally in the league is literally playing against the number one defense Literally in the league. And that's a really cool thing. And if this one guy wins the Super Bowl, I forget his name, he'll be considered the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm just kidding. I love Peyton Manning. He's not Tom Brady, but I like him. So <laughs> I like them both. Don't leave the church because I said that. They're equal. They're equally good. He'll be, he, he will be maybe considered, he'll be in the conversation as greatest of all time. There's a point to me saying all that. This offense... Is as good as it can be. That's it. Broken the record, scored the most touchdowns, the most points ever in history. The quarterback, the leader of this offense, just broke the single-season record for passing yards, just broke the single-season single, the single record for touchdowns, tied this, I think tied the single-season record for MVP, uh, it, basically every record in the book. He can't really get any better. This defense, this season, they can't really get any better. So you have two coaches, one on either side. Pete Carroll and John Fox. They they've interviewed them, and they've said a lot of different things. Basically, at the end of the day, when it comes down to you've made it to the Super Bowl, that means you've done all you can do. They've coached them up, and they're as good as they can get. They're basically done. They have a few plays to call. They have a few people to yell at. They have a few referees to uh, befriend. That's basically it. They're done. The championship jerseys have been printed for both sides. The hats have been printed. Everything's done. The best coaches in the world have done their job and there's nothing else they can do. You serve a God that's a little bit different than that. You know one thing that God has never said? He's never looked at a single human being, put his hands on his hips and said, you know what? I've done all I can do. He's never said that. God's never done He's never done all that he could do, ever. He's not done coaching you up. He's not done making you better. You are not the best you can be, and that's a good thing, because you're pretty good, but you can get better. You can't make yourself better. There's not a guru or self-help book, but God can do it. He's a constant gardener, and he's saying, look, every day that you wake up, every day that you wake up, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let it change you. Don't let it change you from that day when you recognize me for the first time. Don't let it move you backwards from your first love. Don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does your mind get renewed? Well, the Bible says of itself that it is the water of the word that washes away the filth of this world. It is a quaint way of saying you need to be brainwashed. Probably want to edit that off the thing, (laughs) Uh, not by a church, not by a theology, not by somebody's opinion or interpretation, but by the word of God. I don't know how I can make it possibly any more clear than what we just saw with those two constants found in those two first verses. There is a calculated number of letters in this word. There is a calculated number of verses There is a calculated number of words, and you can read it in Hebrew, you can read it in English, or you can read it in Greek. And this might be a stretch for you, but I'm telling you I believe this 110%. This will do something different than Treasure Island, The Count of Monte Cristo, Little Women, Charles Dickens, your favorite author. For some reason, when you open a magazine or a book that's the same length, longer or shorter, it does not have the ability to do what the Bible has the ability to do. And when you think about it, at the end of the day, they're all just combinations of letters. There's only 26 letters to choose from in the English alphabet, and there's only so many different combinations with which you can put those letters together to make a book. But there is something about the formula of how these letters fall in place that does something to the formula that God used to create you, and only he knows it, and he wrote it down and he gave it to you. And if you will read it and you will believe it, there is something that happens. It's better than any pill. It's better than any medication. It's better than any drug. It's better than any experience at renewing your mind, changing you and transforming you into the way and the thing that he's called you to be. Amen. Amen. Everything else that you've ever felt is just a placebo. It's a sugar pill. The word of God is the real deal. The real deal. He is the constant gardener. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he's never far from any one of us. Amen. Amen.